Welcome to another episode of Sustainable Goat. I'm Steve Cassingham, and I interview the greatest of all time in sustainability from the past, present, and into the future. If you're thinking about growing a startup, most of the time you need investment money. And when it comes to investors, there are so many out there, some that just want to see a return on their investment, others that genuinely believe in the idea. David Fox is definitely the latter. He is an incredible guy and has been investing for over 20 years in innovative startup companies, whether they're seed stage or early stage startups, and he's been able to see them grow and thrive. And in his own life, he's been trying to live as sustainable of a life as possible. So let's dive right in and we'll chat with David Fox. Hey, David, how you doing? Great. Good to, good to meet and talk. Yeah, great to have you on the podcast. I just figured let's start with, uh, you know, kind of a little bit about who you are and, and where'd, you, where'd you grow up? Um, obviously, I, I don't think you're American, judging by the accent. You are right there. I grew up in Sydney, Australia. I moved here in the mid-90s. Uh, but yeah, Sydney, uh, suburban. One of the things that we had, though, we backed onto a wonderful reserve. So I spent a lot of time outside the house. And uh, when I was about 10 years old or so, I started growing a, uh, a wonderful vegetable garden. Really? And, uh, that got my, my hands in the dirt as a, uh, hands in the soil as a young kid. What kind of, what kind of sparked that? You know, it was funny. I, um, my, my parents had started a, a retail business and just nearby there was a gardening, uh, gardening store. And I got, uh, I used to wander down there. I was 10 years old and, wandered down there and used to chat with the uh, this wonderful lady who ran that and that that got my interest going what was the uh, first few things you grew oh gosh uh potatoes and carrots and corn and um, beans and it was just a whole raft of things <laughs> <laughs> how did it go did you find you had a green thumb out of the gate or uh, was it a little bit more difficult to learn that side you know, I, I grew enough that um, you know, the, it was more than enough for what we would eat at, uh, at home. And I started uh, selling the produce to uh, neighbours and um, you know, folks, folks around the neighbourhood. Uh, and that, that actually got my entrepreneurialism going when I was uh, you know, still, I guess, 11 or 12 years old. Wow. So you, you definitely started at a young age, kind of going down that entrepreneurial route. That's awesome. When- yeah. How did that kind of evolve into, you know, where you're at now? I mean, obviously we don't have to fast forward to, to where we are now quite yet, but I'd, I'd just love to hear how, you know, that kind of entrepreneurial spirit continued to develop through, you know, school and then how eventually you ended up moving to the States. Uh, what, what was that kind of like? Well, my, uh, my parents, the business they started was a backpacking, trekking, uh, traveling uh, retail store. So kind of like a REI or Patagonia kind of store. And uh, so I got to meet a lot of folks who were spending a lot of time in the outdoors and traveling around the world. I, um, I was always a bit of a fan also of, of sort of the new, new things. I was, uh, I, I'm sure I was the first kid in my whole school who had a pocket calculator. I was the first kid who was making Super 8 movies and had a waterproof camera. I was really into surfing and you know, I was taking photos out in the, out in the surf. Uh, so I was sort of always to lent towards the new, new thing. When did you start, um, you know, professionally, what was, what was your kind of life like? Did you do like the college route? Did you go a different route? What did, what did that kind of look like? It was a very different route at that time in Australia. uh, It wasn't unusual for 
for kids to leave school in year 10. Actually, uh, typically they'd go, go and get a trade. And I actually went into the uh, retail business. So I was uh, not quite 16 and went into the family business. And that was it for school. Did you, did you like working for the family business? Oh, it was a great experience. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed working, uh, working with my uh, folks and really took that business a long way uh, in a few short years. Wow. So what, what brought you to the States? What was the intrigue, the interest? Well, it's interesting. One of the things with, uh, with building that business out is I, I helped a couple of physiotherapists uh, design a backpack for school kids. And uh, we started selling that backpack and uh, I wanted to get it out to schools across the country and there being thousands of those, I had to figure out how to market to those schools. And so I was looking at uh, computer systems to build that database and you know, get the word out about this uh, incredible backpack. Uh, and along the way, I just sort of uh, got so involved with the computers, I started importing software and that turned into a software distribution business. So I ended up representing Adobe and many other uh, companies in Australia in the mid eighties through early nineties. Uh, that brought me across to America a couple of times a year. Yeah, I was sort of back and forth here uh, over many years. And uh, eventually when uh, in 94, I moved here to start an internet business. That was sort of the next opportunity I was seeing evolving and uh, started a digital commerce uh, business in the mid nineties. And, and what was, what was that like, uh, back in the day? Cause I mean, when you think about e-commerce now, I mean, you can, you can pop up a store on, on Shopify <laughs> and, you know, a couple, couple hours and be selling products. What was that process like back in the nineties? It, it was a very different process there. Yes. Everything, uh, every element had to be built <laughs> all the way. I, I think one thing just like, uh, you know, SSL, the securing, uh, the system that gives you secure pages. Uh, we actually had to buy a physical certificate and then type that number in. It was an $800 product to buy an SSL. You know, today it's just you turn on SSL and it's just there natively. But you know, that was an $800 product. <laughs> I was remember oh, the guys yes. dropped off the box to us. <laughs> so yes, very different time. The uh, connectivity was so much slower. The the you know the idea of running uh, video and audio uh, wasn't there. Web pages were incredibly simple. So yeah very different today and, and very different in terms of the support in starting a company today we've got a whole raft of accelerators and incubator programs that uh, give founders a, a terrific boost so having moved here i had you know i had a, a small network but not the kind of network that comes out of you know if you've gone to a, a major college uh, i think the huge advantage of, of being local and having that um, college-based network so, I mean, you've kind of had an interest in technology and, and how it kind of relates to, you know, what we do day to day as human beings. Um, and, and I think kind of you've been able to bridge that gap to where, you know, you've been on the product side, but also the software side. Because um, I think sometimes when you're siloed into one area, you know, you don't see that whole picture. And I think, I mean, that's, that's where I see a lot of fascination in what you do. Um, what kind of sparked that fascination? I mean, I know it was a little bit of, you know, needing that software and the distribution of the backpack, but what kind of continued that growth of, you know, love for technology? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I just had, a, I always had a real interest in, in um, how ideas are propagated. <laughs> uh, the, the company that I started here was actually called Knowledge Web and, uh, and the idea of making expert systems available 
to uh, to folks uh, more broadly than just having you know being siloed with experts to make them more available. Uh, it's I guess yeah. One of the things I remember back to as a kid there was a um, a set of coffee table books that uh, folks had called uh, from uh, of uh, Leonardo da Vinci. I always remember sort of looking, you know, reading through those books and uh, learning about uh, his life and and his incredible work. Uh, uh, you know, that, that was that was sort of one of those influential things I remember. Yeah, yeah, and what and so you know when it comes to you know sports being outdoors, you're you're also an active surfer, um, yeah. if I remember right. Um, when did you start surfing? Oh gosh, that was uh, definitely single digit age, <laughs> uh, and that was the that was the thing I you know, loved to do as a kid, and still uh, still love to do today. Uh, yeah, that is uh, definitely my my outdoor activity and the one place that I uh, am completely disconnected because you know, the rest of my life I've, I've got uh, you know, a wearable tracking tracking me. I've got a, a, a phone in my pocket always. I'm standing in front of a computer all day. Uh, but uh, one thing I don't have is a waterproof uh, watch. I don't have a, uh, like an, a, you know, an Apple watch. That's uh, it's one technology uh, piece of technology I don't have. So I can stay disconnected <laughs> in that one place out in the surf. That's awesome. So I'd imagine, I mean, you probably just grew up with an, uh, with an appreciation for the ocean and kind of just the power that it has and, um, you know, all the, all the different benefits it has for, for our world. Um, I'd imagine you've been kind of immersed in that a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it was probably one of the areas of, you know, along with the backpacking business, uh, the, the areas that got me interested in sort of this you know, green, sustainable, regenerative world uh, as, a, uh, you know, as a surfer, you want to surf in clean water. Uh, there was certainly a culture uh, in, in surfing of you know, back to the earth, uh, you know, especially back in the 70s, uh, sort of a back to the earth movement. Um, you know, I always used to shop in, um, you know, what, it was funny, you know, so many places I'd go surfing nearby, there would be a health food store some sort of sort of healthy food and surfing lifestyle kind of you know, melted together. So yeah, yeah. Sort of some, definitely the surfing uh, is one of the, the areas that had a big influence on my life. Yeah. And, and so now you're, you're an active investor in a lot of things. Um, so I'd love to just hear a little bit about, you know, what are, what are some of the things that fascinate you that you invest in? Um, and then also on the sustainability side, we'll get into a little bit later, but, you know, you built built a, a great house that is that is LEED certified. So I'd just love to hear from like the investing side, you know, where did that kind of start and and what's kind of been your focus? It's interesting. You know, one of the events, um, I sold my company in 99 and it was sort of looking, started looking around for that next thing to do. And you know, there's a couple of sides of investing. You know, one is just sort of like, where do you, you know, where does your money sleep at night? And so I've, I've, I've have money in uh, organizations like RSF Bank, C Note, Force for Good Fund, and um, Crowdfund Main Street. And uh, so, yeah, the sort of investing I've done like that. And then there's certainly uh, companies that I've, I've invested in um, Preserve Farm Kitchen up in Sonoma that's funneling and jarring produce. So, you know, it's sort of been quite a range of, of, of ways I've been able to sort of put my, my money behind projects that I believe in. Yeah. Yeah. And when it comes to investing in sustainability, what's that, what's that world like? Cause you know, especially when, I mean, I grew up in the Silicon Valley ish area um, in Santa Cruz and 
you know, there's always so much money going around. Everything's focused on technology and, and more so when I was younger, apps and everything like that. How does that differ in the sustainability side? Because I think it's, it's a little bit of an uphill battle in, in a lot of cases to where, you know, your market fit isn't necessarily there, but I think it's starting to kind of come around. So what's that journey been like from, you know, investing in sustainable products, uh, you know, kind of earlier versus now? Well, very, very. One of the things that's really changed is the uh, what's called the Jobs Act uh, that enabled crowdfunding. So, investing in companies, individual private companies, has really been limited uh, unless you're unless you have a million dollars of uh, net worth outside your home or you're making two hundred thousand dollars a year uh, of income, uh, and and you're then you know, what's called an accredited investor, and then you're able to invest in startup companies. But, you know, outside of that, startup funding's really been uh, restricted. Uh, so in 2012, uh, Obama uh, uh, pushed through the Jobs Act that uh, enabled regulation crowdfunding. So you've got sites like Weedfunder and Seedinvest where, where you can actually, as a regular individual, in, invest in startup companies. Crowdfund uh, Main Street is, uh, is one that's you know, working with local companies in the Bay Area to help them bring their, sort of their constituents together, their, their, their audience and, and you know, people you know, who believe in a local restaurant or uh, a local ice cream company uh, can actually you know, invest and back that company. That's, that's super cool. I mean, I think opening up those opportunities for people to invest in, in what they believe in, I think... Also, it kind of gets an active investor base that really wants to see the success of a product, whereas they maybe not have known about it if, if they weren't looking for any types of investments. Do you remember your first investment in a, a sustainable company or a product? Yeah, well, actually, the, the, first, in, uh, the first real investment I did was actually uh, in a nonprofit, uh, which was the uh, Biomimicry Institute. Uh, something that that was really uh, put furthering the work of Janine Vinius and in that field of biomimicry, yeah, this sort of in, uh, idea of uh, innovation in, inspired by nature. The first commercial company uh, a few years ago uh, was Preserve Farm Kitchen. Wonderful founder who. Uh, one of the challenges for farmers is that when they have a lot of produce, uh, is when they're also earning the least money for it. And uh, sadly, a lot of produce ends up getting plowed back into the soil. You know, being able to preserve that food, put it in a jar, put it in a can, you know, is something that has moved up to uh, sort of very large scale. And uh, what Preserve Farm Kitchen's working to do is work at a, at a smaller scale so that farmers can work locally and earn a bit more out of that, uh, that produce. Uh, so that, that, was a, that was an interesting one five years ago. You know, when it comes to these solutions that we can have from a sustainability standpoint, I think, you know, it's difficult. You have, you have all these different factors that are coming into play. You have, you know, the fact that there's a lot more people to feed. Um, you have a lot more of a ability to grow locally. Um, but at the same time, you have a lot of farmers who they need to offload that produce. They need to get it somewhere. They need, you know, to really make their, their growth sustainable. And, and also when it comes to the soil and the biodiversity of, of the soil that they're growing their produce on it. I mean, I think I read a fact that said that, you know, if you get an average like tomato, it, it has about a quarter of the benefit that it used to in the fifties based, based on the soil. 
and it's probably been uh, transported a thousand miles, a term called food miles. Uh, so yeah, sadly, uh, it's far too much of our uh, produce is shipped far, far too far. So that's one of the things I like to do personally is just you know, supporting farmers markets. Yeah, yeah. How do you try and live a sustainable life as, as a person? Well, I think you know, the, I think the sort of first thing is staying healthy. You know, if you if you're healthy, you can you can do more. You can uh, you know, there's just more you can do with life. Uh, so for me, staying healthy is um, looking at you know what the food that I've got in my pantry and you know, where that comes from. Uh, so you know, because if uh, farmers markets, I, I I love supporting local uh, co-ops uh, wherever I can. Online, uh, there's you know like Thrive has an uh, incredible array of, of great food. So, uh, you know, so it's the food, obviously exercise. So you know, surfing inspires me to stay fit. And, and also, um, you know, it's just sort of where, where my money sleeps at night and, and you know, sort of putting sort of the mental side of uh, you know, sort of having, having money in good projects and uh, good places. And and you mentioned that the home that you live in is is LEED certified. What what kind of was that decision? So you you decided you're going to build a home. Um, so yeah, it was what, a, actually it's a, a home in the past. Uh, uh, previous marriage, uh, we uh, we bought a uh, Queen Anne Victorian in the Haight Ashbury uh, in 2008, and uh, said it. You know, there was a, a little. We started as a small remodeling project, as many of them do. <laughs> And ended up uh, uh, becoming a two and a half year project that uh, we, we did get a, a lead certification on, actually a lead platinum certification. That was a you know, quite a quite an incredible project to do. Uh, I learned a lot about green building. Yeah, the result in the end was, uh, for the home was uh, was quite incredible. It is a lot of work, especially a Queen Anne, uh, you know, a house built in the 1890s. Uh, it it was a tremendous amount of work, and uh, I, I guess that's one of the. You know, I've, I've invested in a company called Blockable, that's building sustainable homes, fresh and out of a factory. And I, I think there's just a, a lot to be said for actually, for for factory built new homes. You know, there's only about I think about 400 Queen Anne homes left in San Francisco, so there's a lot to be said for preservation. On the other hand, uh, it was uh, two and a half years of horrible disturbance to neighbours. <laughs> Having builders come and go, so uh, I, I think in a, in a lot of situations it's uh, better to uh, replace than, uh, than than repair. What was kind of the hard hurdles that you had to get over when when doing that renovation and really trying to bring in a green builder into such an old building? Well, yeah, the lead builder was great. You know, he had some education on it. He was really enthusiastic about the idea. We were uh, we had a large uh, rainwater storage system that we wanted to do. And uh, we were actually lucky. We, we were the first permitted under some new water recycling rulings. But yeah, that, that was uh, yeah, just, just having the city cooperate. Uh, again, I think that's become easier in the past 10 years. We actually just in the, in the home I'm presently in, we, we moved here six months ago, we put solar on. And that was just incredibly easy. Not only was it a fraction of the cost of solar uh, back then, but um, the, the process, it was a, a, a uh, a one-day install. So, what do you what do you think is the, you know, future of sustainable building? I mean, I think it's it's kind of one of those areas where there's so much room to grow. I know there's a lot of research going into material 
materials specifically, just material development and how, and then how we actually construct our structures. What do you think the future of sustainability is when it comes to actually building? You know, when we live in a home, it is your, it's your space. It's where we spend a lot of our time and they're important. And, and I think now the focus is starting to shift that way, but it's also how can we do it differently? Yeah. Well, one of the things I would underscore for people is ventilation. One of the, um, things about green building is uh, really building a tight envelope. So there's, you know, the, the, you don't have air leakage. You have the original, the original uh, Queen Anne Victorian, uh, we didn't have to have any sort of, you, know, you didn't have to think about getting fresh air into the house. It was so leaky, but these new buildings are built very tight. And so you can actually end up with terrible uh, indoor air quality. Build it tight, vent it right is one of the things we used to say. That's awesome. So, I mean, what do you, what do you think are going to be those, changes that are going to be coming in like five, 10 years. I mean, I, there's so many exciting things going on in the building space. You know, you have a lot of manufactured homes where, you know, now those are almost the things that people want rather than it used to be, you know, we want the custom build where they bring the materials in and all this stuff. And now they're being built in factories quicker, more affordable, but also really efficient and, and clean. So where do you kind of see that market going? Over no, that's time. that's absolutely the area I favour. Yeah. Again, you haven't gone through this uh, multi-year process of of, of renovation, uh, and again, there's something to be said for preserving beautiful old buildings. But in general, I'm I'm a huge fan of um, of the move towards manufactured homes. A manufactured home, not in the old sense of very flimsily built things that were um, you sort of think of those temporary uh, school buildings. The thing with building in a, in a factory is precision. Um, like you think about building an automobile these days, you know, the automobiles come off a production line, they have an incredible factory, they're consistent, they work, they're efficient. Uh, trying to do that is, is like, you know, just imagine trying to assemble a car on your, on, on your driveway. Yeah, sort of the whole idea that you would uh, assemble, you know, you'd get all, you know, you'd get the thousands of parts that go into a, a car and assemble it in a driveway in the rain with people coming and going and uh you know it's just it's just ridiculous this sort of build on site uh process is just so inefficient so um but it's an industry that takes a long time to shift but i think you know we're starting to see that companies like i said I invested in blockable as one company that's that that's doing this there's a uh, dozen a couple of dozen companies that, that are working on on really well designed uh homes for people yeah, that are efficiently you know, built in factories. So that, you know, these houses have the potential to not only be lower cost, but to uh, be better designed uh, and uh, longer lasting. Yeah, and, and as an investor, what are you really looking for when you're trying to invest in something that's newer like this? I mean, you know, Blockable is, you know, they're a company that's doing great things and really cool things, but also, you know, the market hasn't adopted this methodology yet. So what does that kind of look like as you're, as you invest in more seed rounds on these companies, what are you really trying to look for? Well, it's definitely risky. Um, it's an interesting um, confluence of, of, um, of, of things, particularly you know, in an early stage company, really looking at the founder and their, the passion and the, the, the you know, sort of where the, where that founder is coming from looking at other investors who are supporting it. You know, in the case of Blockable, I invest, uh, I, I got access to that company through a syndicate, which is a, you know, another, a, a sort of another innovation in uh, uh, company, in financing companies. So it was a syndicate started by a gentleman named Jason Calacanis, 
that um, you know, what he does is he brings together, a, 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 you know, in that case, I think a couple of hundred investors uh, under his umbrella uh, to make what becomes a single investment into uh, a company like Blockable. Uh, one of the challenges with getting in, uh, with investing in early stage companies is it's it's often a, a minimum of a twenty-five or fifty thousand uh, dollar check that you've got to write. So uh, the syndicates are, are, are enabling people for as little as a thousand dollars to to gain access to these companies and and to support these companies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think when you when you're looking to invest in companies, I mean, it's almost like you you bet on the jockey, not the horse. Certainly early on, um, you know, because that person's got to be able to, you know, first of all, you know, raise funding for the company. Uh, they've got to be able to bring other pe- people into work in the company. They've got to be able to sell the products of the company. And uh, all of that takes a special kind of personality to be able to do that. Um, so being a, uh, a great storyteller, uh, being a great organizer, often, um, you see these companies actually have uh, two or three founders because it's, you know, it's really hard to find all of, all of these qualities in a single person. And what have been come some of your exciting investments that you either have made or just you're really excited about? Um, because I think people, people look at it as an investment as, you know, just I'm going to throw my money at something and see where it goes. But I, I think that, you know, when you partner with an investor in a, in a venture, it's, it's a partnership, you know, you're, you're really trying to, to learn from each other, grow and, and really push, push things to the next level in such a way where you're not just, you know, throw money at it to fix the problem kind of thing. Yeah. Well, there's, uh, there's a few ways that I, I look at it. Investing uh, early stage in companies is something that you want to do with money that you won't miss if it never comes back. <laughs> uh, when you make a, make an investment in a private company, uh, it's unlike putting money in, you know, if you put money into the stock market into your shares of a public company, if you, if you need that money back, you can get it back tomorrow. You know, maybe you'll lose a bit. It's unusual for companies to completely go out of business. It usually takes quite some time. Uh, and, you know, so there's, there's liquidity um, and stability and knowledge about the company and, and public market investing, and you can do it for a few dollars. When you invest in a private company, you uh, the money is locked up for as long as uh, you know, the company ha- until the company has a liquidity event, which could be uh, five years, could be ten years, could be longer. You know, my earliest investment was twenty years ago. You know, my very first early stage investment went to zero in a year. <laughs> the next one is still alive, uh, but it's twenty years later. You know, they, these are very risky um, and uh, illiquid. It, it's it's interesting how I see different things. You know, I, um, Generally, it's you know, if I'm making a direct investment in a company, it's because I've had a personal introduction. You know, I've met the founder, or I've been introduced to the founder by someone else. So it's it's still uh, the, you know, most of the sort of the direct investments in companies I make. It's it's very much a person to person kind of thing, and that's where the other that it's usually yeah, that's sort of that five figure check. Uh, Smaller investments, though, there's syndicates. So Angel List uh, is one. Uh, we Funder is uh, is another. You know, these are enabling much smaller uh, investments to be made. So Angel List is still for accredited investors. So you have to have that million dollars in net worth or the two hundred thousand dollar income. But the, you know, those investments can be as small as a thousand dollars. And I've actually done over thirty of those now. You know, how do you find these companies? You know, one I'm just thinking of one uh, called Fresh Bowl. Uh, that's making uh, wonderful food in a jar 
and I was at Chicago airport looking, you know, hunting for something decent to eat <laughs> last year. And uh, there was this vending machine with these uh, glass jar and uh, in it some healthy food. And I, you know, I sat on the plane and, and super enjoyed it. And so when that company popped up on uh, Angel List, I you know, instantly pressed the button and <laughs> invested. A few years prior to that, uh, Kettle and Fire was making bone broth. Uh, was introduced to me by, by uh, you know, someone I'd met. And it's, it's amazing when I walk, I was just in the supermarket the other day and you sort of walk along there and I'd say to my daughter, hey, I invested in that company. It is, it is a, a sort of a fun thing to do. Uh, when, when you actually see a, you know, a company you know, product that you've invested in and you see it on the shelves, it's a good feeling. Right? My advice to people is do, you know, do it with money that um, you know, if it never comes back, uh, you, you won't miss it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't put all the, all the money in there and, you know, make that be the only source of success Indeed. probably isn't the best way to do it. Um, cause yeah, a lot of startups do end up failing and, and it's not necessarily, it could be a whole host of reasons. Product market fit is obviously a huge one. And, and I think, you know, we're challenging ourselves and, and more out of necessity nowadays that we have to challenge the way that we live our lives and, and the way and the products that we buy and, and the way that we source them as an investor, what do you think is kind of needed in order to grow that space? Because, you know, these business ideas and everything when it comes to sustainability are great, but all of them take money and they have to raise money from somewhere in order to get their, you know, dream to become a reality. Um, so what do you think is needed from like an investor standpoint in order to us to get there for sustainability specifically? The world is, the world is moving in this direction. Uh... You know, even giant firms like BlackRock uh, have um, environmental, social, governance, uh, ESG uh, funds uh, now. Uh, so it's, you know, it's sort of moving of a whole industry. It's a, a shifting of, uh, of of mindset. I think um, you know it's going to be interesting to see what comes out of this COVID uh, coronavirus time. Uh, people are really you know, reevaluating uh, their health and their lives. Of course, we've got incredibly uh, existential problem in climate change ahead, and um, hope that people um, will uh, take them heed the message of, that's come out of coronavirus uh, about the you know, the impact that can um, such small things can have. Uh, you think about a virus; uh, you know, it's a microscopic thing that uh, has uh, has shifted the world. How did do, how does that work from? when you when you have a market that is slowly starting to emerge is it is it purely company do you focus on hey i want to go after just companies that are focused on reusing microplastics i mean do you do you choose like a specialty or is it kind of just you know what it looks like on the financial side you know how does that process work one of the things i've done is invest in a in a, a small venture fund um, a um, called safer made uh, and they're bringing you know, Safer products and technologies uh, to market that that have a chance, uh, you know, have a potential to change uh, whole sectors, uh, and so backing a, f a fund like that, you know, they they look at um, at hundreds of companies, uh, invest in a handful, and so that you know that's you know I've sort of taken uh, you know a, a portion of my money and put it into that venture fund because those guys are, are much smarter than me. <laughs> Uh, in being able to figure uh, figure out which companies uh, to back, so that's one way to do it. Is uh, you know, again, if you're an accredited investor, you know, in investing in a fund that's focused in this area. You know, the other way is you know, if you is 
investing through the syndicates uh, and you know, doing it on a company by company basis, but doing it with small, again, with small amounts of money, uh, investing across a range. I think that's one of the things I've really, that's um, really shifted for me is uh, I, 10 years ago, the only way to invest was to put down a 25 or $50,000 check into you know, directly into a company. But the, uh, the notion of being able to, to spread that across many companies uh, through a platform like uh, you know, AngelList or uh, sort of shifted the way that I'm investing. And so I'm sort of spring, spreading it around uh, a lot more. Uh, and then for, you know, for folks who regular folks who aren't, you know, aren't accredited investors, something like WeFunder, uh, Seed Invest, and you know, any of the other uh, equity crowdfunding platforms give you an opportunity even for a few hundred dollars to invest in an early stage company. I mean, it's incredible to see how much money can be raised from a community that wants to back it versus, you know, you're having to chase down investors that are already getting chased down by, you know, hundreds <laughs> of other people saying, hey, I want your money, I want your money and, and being chosen for that. Whereas they're going, hey, we'll let the market kind of come to us and we're just going to focus on building a good product. And so what do you think the future of, of sustainability is over the next five years? Just um, as someone who does actively invest, but as, as just looking at the market in general, I mean, you surf, you're outdoors all the time, started in backpacks. I mean, it's, it's such a appreciation for nature. I mean, where do you see sustainability and the focus of it really going over the next five years? At a personal level, I've actually got very interested in the health tech market. So I think it's sort of health of people. Uh, has become incredibly important. And of course, as, you know, as, as uh, climate change brings more tropical diseases <laughs> to more places, uh, makes it harder to live in places. I, I think you know, there's, you know, the, the change, the, the coming change in climate uh, is going to have um, some really negative impacts on people's health. Uh, so that's, that's sort of one area. I think one of one of the fields that is so important uh, is this area I mentioned early on of biomimicry, this sort of notion of innovation inspired by nature. I think that's uh, uh, I, I, they had a, a design challenge uh, program last week. Uh, my partner was a judge in, uh, and the nine companies that presented were just uh, you know, really uh, was a really great range of companies. Uh, so I'm, I'm sort of you know seeing companies that are more, uh, and again I think one of those things I mentioned early on the the accelerators and the incubator programs I think are really being helpful to to founders to be able to pitch and present their company in a way that's attractive to investors, uh, and where they're not seen just simply as a uh, as a, a donation, <laughs> but but actually as a as an investment as an investable company. Things are just going to be continuing to shift and. Um, I think just having those opportunities for companies to really drive that change um, is going to be really important in the future. Um, so I think it's definitely an exciting time for that. And do you remember the first sustainable product that you purchased, whether it was um, either sustainably made or would help you live a more sustainable life? Oh, uh, it would be food of some sort. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely, I definitely go straight to the food uh, side. Um, There's definitely an organic, uh, natural food person from, uh, from early on. I don't know what particular food it would have been, but <laughs> I definitely food comes to mind. Definitely the food. I mean, I think you were kind of doing that from the from the single digits <laughs> <laughs> in the first garden. So, um, and then you know, what can what can people do in whether they're looking to invest their money or purchase things differently or or even just to create a product if they want to start a business or anything like that. 
you know, what can somebody do as a, as a first step to kind of live a more sustainable life? You know, I think a lot of people are stuck in that mindset that, you know, they have to sell pretty much everything they own and not consume anything. So what can people do is just like a simple step that, you know, I think could have a bigger impact. Well, I think the, it all comes from being mindful and just sort of thinking before buying. We're driven by so much marketing, you know, messaging, and I think just continually being mindful. I think the like the little tiny things, uh, carrying uh, my own shopping bags in my uh, in my car. So, you know, I'm not taking paper bags out of a. Yeah, I think it's just little. You know, being active day to day. Yeah, probably maybe even having a little home garden or even an indoor garden, anything like that. Yeah, having a good partner uh, is one. <laughs> I've got a wonderful partner who's planted a uh, a great garden here at our new home, and uh, we've got uh, a dozen and a half fruit trees, and we've got all sorts of produce, uh, half a dozen different varieties of tomatoes uh, starting to uh, starting to give off their fruit uh, and uh, squashes and uh, things. Uh, yeah, definitely a home garden, but it's awesome when you've got a partner who can do the hard work. <laughs> definitely. Cause yeah, I mean, having a, having a garden is definitely, there's no shortage of work that needs to be done and, and care and love that need to go into the plants. What is, what is your favorite place to enjoy nature? Well, there's another easy one. That's out on the surf, the place I can be truly disconnected and uh, ever-changing. Whenever I'm, at, you know, Every time I'm out there, it's different. Yeah, every time I've gone surfing, I, I feel like there's always a, it's like a distinct moment where, you know, you get, you get past that excitement of, you know, paddling out into the surf, you know, catching your first few waves and you, you sit in the lineup for a sec. And there's like, for, for me at least, there's always this moment where, you just sit and you go, wow, this is really cool. Like this, this place, the way it feels, the water. I mean, you just feel like such a connection with, with nature. Um, and I don't know if that's the same for you, but I always found like through surfing, that was always a huge thing for me. Yep. It's certainly as so long as you're not uh, bumping up against some locals who don't want you there in their local break. <laughs> no, it's amazing. You're sitting there and, and, uh, uh, you see uh, a school of uh, dolphins uh, zip by. Uh, it's pretty magical. You know, we talked about this a little bit, um, but, you know, why is, is sustainable living or why is sustainability and it important in the bigger scope of, of, you know, our earth and just how we live our lives? Um, you know, why is it so important that, you know, the homes that we live in, the, the vegetables that we grow or fruits that we grow, why is that so important as, as a global community? Well, I think one just selfishly, they're just better. You know, the green, green homes are just better designed homes and more comfortable be, to be in the organic local produce just tastes better. But of course, it's also better for the, the people who uh, grow and make it. You know, it, it's funny, I mean, in terms of the earth, you know, the planet will be here, whatever. <laughs> it's just whether we will be mm -hmm. uh, and, and where we will be on this planet. That's, uh, that's the big question. Well, yeah. Thanks for taking the time to to hop on and talk on the podcast. I'm sure like everybody learned a lot, especially from the, from the investment side. And then, you know, even just learning about your story of, you know, honestly just starting in the tech and the software, but also having like a deep rooted connection with, with, you know, growing and, and earth and being out there and surfing. I think, I think it's a really great thing that people were able to learn a lot. 
great uh, happy to uh, happy to have had the conversation and uh, i'll send you uh, a few links to put in the show notes that sounds good thanks for listening to this episode of sustainable goat um, david has so much really really good information and knowledge um, it was so great to have a conversation with him anything that we talked about details on some of the companies stuff like that they'll all be in the show notes so definitely check those out and if you want to connect with david that information will be in the show notes as well thanks again for listening to this episode of sustainable goat